Progressive Rugby League. Well, it's a strange old time to be alive, but there's nowhere else we'd rather be than right here. As we welcome you back to the Progressive Rugby League podcast for another week, John O'Duncan here. My hands are clean and I'm doing my best to control my droplet output. And joining me from a strict social distance of 1.5 metres is Big Albert, sniffle-free, in the flesh, and raring to dip back into his role of presumptive president of the International Rugby League Council of Communitarians. Hello, Big Al. Good to see you. Great to see you as well. Can you hear me from all the way over there? <laughs> yes. Yes? I can. Are, you, are you going to be able to see my physical cues? I don't have my glasses on, so <laughs> I do know you're there, though, because you're, you're Big Al. If you're a little Al, <laughs> I'd be in trouble. Look, Big, a lot's happened since we last spoke from your self-imposed self-isolation sanctuary. Mm. You're back. Cleared of corona, and it's good to see you haven't changed. Yeah, well, let's just clarify. I was, I was never tested for corona, right? I had hay fever, right. <laughs> and I took an antihistamine, and it cleared up almost immediately. So yeah. please, let's just clarify. That's true. And I, I panicked. I panicked, and I demanded that you just self-isolate. <laughs> but yeah, look, since then, a lot has changed in the world and the world of rugby league. How are you feeling about it all? Well, I'm feeling, I'm feeling optimistic. You know what? Everything is going to be just fine. Okay, that's crazy talk. How do you really feel? <laughs> How can you feel? There's The great line is, the situation is fluid, and that's mm. talking about every situation in anything that's going on right now, and mm. it's constantly changing. So all I can feel is that I have complete faith that those in positions of power and authority will find the right thing to do, and that us as a society will come together as one. Are you referencing God there? Have you been to Hillsong Church? <laughs> what, what do you want me to say? It's unprecedented times. Uh, it sounds like you're saying it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's we're just got to get through it, don't we? I tell you what, for me, it was a roller coaster of emotions over the weekend. It started very excited on Thursday for the first game of the season. Mm. That game fell flat, to be fair, mm. but then got excited again, and I was rewarded with mm. the Queensland Derby on Friday night. Mm. But then, of course, it kind of started to fall flat again. And then the news from New Zealand came out that they were going to have travel restrictions. And you knew that all of a sudden things got very real for the competition. Yeah. And I remember watching that game just thinking, there's something wrong here. And I just could not get into it. It was a very weird, weird vibe. But then on Sunday, I enjoyed that double header from Manly and the... The Storm and the Tigers and the Dragons. So it was a real roller coaster of emotions. Good point. Those last two games did have a, a real sense of like normality about them. Mm. Like, you know, 10,000 or so people at Brookvale or Wynn Stadium yeah. on a Sunday afternoon watching a football game. It was very easy to forget that things aren't normal. Yeah, very true. Look, let's start off today by looking at the coronavirus and its impact on rugby league, shall we? 
I want to look at some potential outcomes of the possible scenarios we might be dealing with over the next couple of weeks and months. We're not going to try to add to the throng of medical advice out there from non-medical types. Everyone seems to have an opinion and apparently all based on medical advice. So (laughs) there is a lot of advice out there and it's all quickly changing. So this podcast could date very quickly. So that's why we're going to steer clear of giving medical advice or giving our opinion on that. So we just say, listen to your local medical expert and hopefully they fall in line with each other soon enough. So as we record this podcast, the Super League has been postponed while the NRL will be playing behind closed doors. But that could change any time, of course. So let's look at those two possible scenarios, either a postponed or cancelled season or a season played behind closed doors. So this first scenario where the competitions are postponed or cancelled and the TV money stops flowing, that obviously hurts both competitions badly. Both competitions are not set up to withstand this sort of thing. Obviously, the NRL is reliant on huge TV revenues. There would have to be some major changes at NRL clubs. The grants would be slashed which means the clubs would probably have to slash player salaries and get rid of staff, which means some clubs would surely be going to the wall. And while this hurts the NRL more from a proportional point of view because they have a much larger TV deal, it obviously is extremely damaging to the Super League and Super League clubs too. We saw when the Super League clubs came out and announced that they were postponing their season or suspending their season. The grave looks on the authorities' faces, Robert Elston, Ralph Rimmer, they knew that this was a big deal. So that's all pretty obvious stuff. It's all very scary stuff. And it does actually open the door for a totally reshaped future rugby league competition in both markets potentially, but we'll get to that in a sec. From a player's point of view, what do you think that will do to their mindset if the competitions are postponed or or cancelled? They won't be able to go about their business, their daily jobs. It's a pretty scary thought for a bunch of people who are used to military-like structure for most of the year. You gotta be here at this time, there at that time. And all of a sudden it would be like, guys, we'll let you know when we need you back here again, you're on your own. Think of what that could do to a player's state of mind. We know the dangers of young men with money and too much time in their hands. And if the salaries were slashed or delayed, some players would need to get day jobs. And in a depressed economy, that's not easy. And what about we fans, Big Al? Rugby league is a really important part of our lives. We long for it during the week and revel under its halo every weekend. How will that affect us? Will it add to social dislocation? Obviously, rugby league is just one of many social entertainment options that will be cancelled. What does that do to a society when all the outlets we're used to are not available to us anymore? How much Netflix can we watch realistically? I haven't even touched the surface of the ramifications for international rugby league. Any pushback of the domestic competitions, and you can kiss goodbye the ashes, for instance. So these are a big potential consequences of a suspended or cancelled season. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think the, the point you raised about how that will affect the players, I think, is, is one that probably needs to be considered because you're right. A player's season is built on a solid foundation of routine. Mm. You know, Monday's recovery, Tuesday training, Wednesday education session and training, Thursday day off, whatever it might you be. You forgot PlayStation. <laughs> I said day off. Oh, right. And then that ends and it's off season, go for a bit of a holiday and then get back to the routine. And so once that's disrupted, it would be difficult for anybody that's used to such, as you said, military like precision in their, mm. in their day to day to sort of fill that time and again with all the economic stuff that's going on what what do you fill that time with i think it'd be be really disruptive and difficult to adapt to yeah so that takes us to scenario two the scenario where the respective competitions continue as close to schedule as possible 
but in front of empty grandstands. No fans allowed. This seems to be the best case scenario in the short term. Obviously, Super League and Championship is suspended at this stage until April 3rd, I believe. And I guess they'll be hoping that they could continue on in front of empty grandstands because you can't see that ban on large gatherings changing anytime soon in the UK and Europe with what's happening over there. So the first question in this scenario is what to do with international teams. Catalan, Toronto, Toulouse, and the New Zealand Warriors from the NRL perspective. There are travel restrictions already in place in some locations, and it wouldn't be surprising if they spread to most international travel soon enough. The options for international teams if travel in and out of the countries becomes unfeasible, which looks like the case, are for those teams to base themselves in the UK for teams in Super League and the Championship, and Australia for the Warriors. So that could work, but the question there becomes, who pays? Or do you postpone a few games in the hope this goes away in a few weeks? You can catch up on those games later in the year. And what about the players' families? Rugby league players are away a lot, but everything is scheduled, so you can plan around it. What happens to a family where there is a long-term unplanned absence of your father or husband? That's very tough on a family. So from a health of the sport perspective, you'd think this scenario where fans are locked out hurts the UK game a lot more than the Australian game, as you were saying, reliant on away fans partakings, those sorts of things. And the fact that the UK game up until this weekend seemed to be putting their hands over their eyes and ears about the evolving corona situation in the hope that that could continue business as usual reflects the precarious nature of the finances at both administrative and club level. We were talking last week about the crazy length of the UK season and the lack of a decent Super League presence on TV, but that's a hangover from a historical over-reliance on gate takings to keep things afloat. When gate receipts are so pivotal to club coffers, what's the fallback when something like this happens? It's okay, but not ideal for a competition where a large chunk of revenue comes from media and sponsorship rights, like the NRL or the big European soccer leagues or American sporting competitions. But what of the clubs that rely on gate and bar takings? I remember reading Underdogs by Tony Hannon and being pricked by reading about the extent of the hand-to-mouth existence of that club. And they run it very well, by the way. And how important beer sales were. But it's not just championship clubs. Most Super League clubs will find it hard to cope with the loss of several home games worth of cash. Catalan suggested they'll lose around £300,000 from the two games they'll likely miss out on against Leeds and Toronto. So I'm pretty sure the answer is, in some cases, there is no fallback. It's a bit scary to think what could happen to some clubs if the Super League and Championship is forced behind closed doors for any stretch of time. Will the fans be forced to fork out the cash to prop up the clubs? There are quite a few recent examples where fans have literally come to the financial rescue of struggling clubs witness last year. Will we see that, but on an exponential scale? Those situations, though, were not in the context of an economic downturn like the one that's unfolding. So maybe fans won't be able to fork out the cash this time around. That's a bit scary, too. So like I said, it should be less of an impact on the NRL and NRL clubs as a lower proportion of their revenue comes from gate takings, but it will sting the bottom line still, that's for sure. And as I alluded to earlier, if there are a number of clubs at risk of hitting the wall, it could result in significantly reshaped NRL and particularly Super League competitions. If you think about it, if you're an administrator who's always thought there are too many clubs in Sydney or too many clubs along the M62, Or if you think the opposite, if you think the coronavirus has proven that expansion just creates more problems than it solves, then here's probably your best chance to reshape the competition into how you think it should look. It's probably far-fetched at this stage, but there is a distinct possibility this could be the tipping point for big structural changes to the NRL and, and Super League competitions. So, look, I've just vomited out a whole bunch of theoretical hypotheticals, but it's interesting to think about. It certainly is. I've got one potential upside to all of this. If we're seeing a season where teams are playing at empty stadiums, Mm. potentially 
that increases TV viewership for the non-fan. I, I got to see this, these sports that are being played uh, against in empty stadiums. And we all know how engaging the game is. Watch for five minutes and you're hooked. Yeah. How do you think I got into it? Yeah, it, it's also one of those times every year there's sort of crazy ideas of what the administrators should be doing. You should play State of Origin on Saturn in <laughs> Spanuary to sort of get the solar system crew looking at, at the game, that sort of thing. All those crazy ideas, they're kind of like have to be looked at these days. <laughs> so like, inter, intergalactic state yeah, of origins, that's, that's what we're talking about that here. That sort of thing. Uh, you know how people have you know different ideas of what should happen. Sometimes you think, hmm, have you really thought this through? But all of a sudden, all these ideas, they're on the table. It's a big table too. <laughs> but more broadly, I'm interested in seeing what playing behind closed doors will do to the playing and viewing experience of rugby league across all competitions. So there are the obvious jokes about some clubs being used to playing in front of no fans. Ha ha ha. <laughs> but even when crowds are low, there's always some kind of atmosphere that adds to the playing and viewing experience. Sometimes when the crowds are really low, you can really hear individuals screaming at you. So <laughs> it, it does make a difference. Will playing in front of no fans affect some players more than others? There are, of course, those big occasion players. Do they thrive mainly on the noise of the crowd, the heave of the throng? Will they find it hard to get motivated? What about the players who sometimes struggle on the big stage? Will they feel less pressure and excel in this situation? What about the TV viewing experience? There likely will be no atmosphere, but I'm guessing the TV producers will dial up the sound effects from the players. Maybe we'll get a better insight into how players interact with each other, the banter, the encouragement, the sledging. Or if this becomes a long-term thing, will networks start experimenting with virtual crowds for both the sound and the visuals, literally implanting images and the blare of the virtual audience? Could this be a window, Big Al, into the future of sports broadcasting? And I'm talking way into the future where technology is permanently tattooed into our souls. A world where we don't need to leave our bedrooms to experience anything. This will probably be how live sport will be experienced at some point in the future. No need for live crowds. In fact, you'll probably create a better atmosphere and more lifelike atmosphere without real people. Is well, this going to be a window? In, in that scenario, surely the game itself is also not real. <laughs> and is just uh, a randomly generated bunch of algorithms wh where the winner is chosen at random, basically. Like when you go to uh, the pub and you watch those virtual horse races at two in the morning because the real horse races are finished. Hang on, they're not real. They're not real. But I'm saying they might bring the technological future to the present because while the real game proceeds, all the outside shenanigans like the crowd and the atmosphere... That's not there. I'm just wondering, that could be a, a new feature of broadcasting later in the year if we have a whole six months or so without fans. Mm. What it will mean is, for the TV viewer, mm. we are going to have to heavily rely on commentators making the game as exciting as possible, which they already do, Yeah. but properly conveying how exciting the game actually is yeah. without having to rely on, on crowd reactions. It's like all, all, yeah, all commentators are going to do that, and I guess we'll really... So really, it's going to sort out the commentary week from the commentary chaff. That's what it sounds like it's going to do. Everybody is just going to have to work a bit harder. You're going to have to really earn your money if uh, you're a commentator. Although we might also see you're right the point you made about how crowds can affect a player's performance we might see some players that are generally you know standard some standard players yeah. suddenly become awesome yeah. because they are without we didn't realize they were affected by crowds or by the pressure we might see things really open up and some uncut gems mm, that's right another potential element of this scenario and this seems more likely in australia if at all would be to base the entire competition in one place maybe townsville or darwin apparently according to some quote-unquote medical advice <laughs> going to hot climbs might help slow the spread. I'm not sure if that's accurate at all, but that's what people say. So this would be a very interesting social experiment to witness, especially if the players were stuck there 
for any stretch of time. The whole rugby league community in one town, away from family and friends for weeks, maybe months on end. How would that manifest on the field? It sounds like a bad reality TV show. Would players start to vent their frustrations after a little while? What about off the field? How would the players' mental health be affected? Surely they'd get a bit of cabin fever after three or four months in Townsville or Darwin, for instance. So, you know, these are many strange and wonderful things that we Mm. can look forward to over the next few months. And that is if we're lucky enough to see rugby league over the next few months. So the NRL is continuing to play for the moment. That could change any time. Super League suspended for the moment. I'm sure they're hoping to get back on the field very soon. But Big Al, I didn't quite nail you down before. How are you going to cope with a season without rugby league if it gets to that point? Uh, I think what I might do is dust off my original Xbox from 2002, get myself a copy of rugby league. <laughs> give that a bell no honestly I, I, I don't know I, I, I've made this joke far too many times that you know that first Friday after the grand final you, you come home from work mm. and you're like oh what do I do now yeah. what did I do this time last year it's just going to be that again I suppose yeah yeah. because I mean for rugby league fans the season's just started we mm. went through the off season we're just enjoying the, the fruits of the first month of the season and all of a sudden it might be taken away from us it's not just rugby league of course there are all our social outlets are kind of being taken away from us uh, in the short term and maybe even longer. How will that affect society? Okay, it's it's fine for a week or two, but what about once it gets to a few months where you've got nothing to do? You can't go see a comedian. You can't go see a game of rugby league. You can't go to the pub. You can't go to the bar. Well, people like me that, that rely heavily on rugby league to distract myself from basically anything else, mm. might, might, you never know, I might emerge as uh, as a poet. <laughs> Uh, this or could an be, award-winning essayist. This could really, this could really be good for me. <laughs> it could be a time of enlightenment <laughs> yeah. for Big Al. So you know that's what's happening with the coronavirus. Like I said earlier, this part of the show might be dated very soon, but we just wanted to go through a couple of potential scenarios and just kind of brainstorm what we might expect over the next few weeks and months. Because, like you said, Big Al, it is unprecedented. But let's talk while we're here. While I've got you, mm. let's try to add a little bit of normality into proceedings. Okay. What did you think of the weekend of rugby league? Okay, there was a big pall cast over the weekend due to the coronavirus. And like I said, there was a, a roller coaster of emotions. At some points, I felt very flat. At some points, I was very excited. What did you think of the games over the weekend? It was just great to have them back. I've been, I've been hanging out for the start of the season for, well, since the end of the last season, really. Mm. And it was just nice to take a in. There were some good games. Like, you know, the Queensland Derby is always fun. There were some flat games and there were some weird games with the Tigers-Dragons one. That was a weird game. That was weird. Me. But it was just good to have it. And again, like I said at the top of the show, it brought a sense of normality to, a, you know, this emerging situation that we all find ourselves in just mm. to see... Regular things happening. The football is on, there's people there, and it carries on. It was a regular weekend, but the strangest regular weekend we've ever experienced. Look, back on Thursday, as I mentioned, I was thirsting, yearning Mm. for Rugby League Big L. Do you yearn, Big L? (laughs) Constantly. But sometimes Rugby League early in the season is like catching up with an old friend after a long time without seeing each other. You know, you've been texting for ages, we've got to catch up, we've got to catch up. You look forward to it for weeks, and then you get to the pub, and for the first few minutes... The conversation is totally stilted. In rugby league parlance, you're just completing your sets, playing it safe. How's work? How's the family? Any holidays planned? Ugh, I'm close mates with this guy, and I'm already asking about his holiday plans to the Poconos. But anyway, soon enough, you warm up and you're back to your relational best, gossiping about your other mates and planning flawless business ventures that will never eventuate. 
I found myself in this situation watching the first game of the year between my Parramatta Eels and the Dogs. It was marked in my calendar. Looking forward to seeing you, mate. And then the game starts and it never really gets out of first gear. We were asking after each other's pets. How's Rex? (laughs) But then the next night, I watched a thoroughly entertaining Cowboys and Broncos game and it was back to normal, like we'd never been apart. To be fair, that first match was a particularly boring game and I suppose an unfortunate way to start the season. I was tempted, but I didn't go to bed early. (laughs) I did, though, complete my lengthy oral hygiene routine at about the 58th minute mark. We're talking uh, flossing and footy. Mouthwash. Tooth brushing for three to four minutes, bit of flossing. So it's four, four or five minutes, and I didn't miss anything. Do you use a, an electric toothbrush or just an old, old school manual? It's manual. My girlfriend has just bought an electric toothbrush yeah. and suggested I yeah. jump on board. Yeah. I've heard great things. I, I got to tell you, when I made the switch from manual to electric, yeah. it is amazing. Okay. And now I, I can't look back. Thanks for the advice. Look, like I said, I didn't miss anything through my oral hygiene routine. Mm. But that's okay, Big Al. Boring's okay. It's healthy to be bored sometimes. It boosts your creativity, I read. But then again, if you're bored too often, that's bad for you. Mindless snacking, binge drinking, problem gambling, falling into the smartphone rabbit hole. So like everything, boredom in moderation seems to be the key. A sprinkling of boredom for a healthy mind. So as I don't mind a health kick, who can forget the Atkins years, to stay mentally healthy in 2020, assuming rugby league continues... Amongst my rugby league diet of, say, four to five games a weekend, I'm going to try to find one boring game. After all, everything is relative, and it's the boring games that make the exciting games so satisfying. So that's what I'll be looking for every weekend. One boring game, no more. Looking ahead to round two of the NRL, Mm -hmm. I see, you know, Canterbury versus the Cowboys. That looks fairly (laughs) dull. That's a must-watch for me. And if it ends up being a decent game... Sure, I'll take it, <laughs> but with a heavy heart. What if you accidentally watch four great games and you, oh, well. because your chosen boring one is amazing? Well, I'll be a bit disappointed. Or do you have to double up ne- the next week and, make, and split I'll have to look too for good, two. too bad? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm. because it's all about my mental health, Yeah. so I've got to be bored. But surely two out of four games being boring, mm. isn't that, is not that too much boredom? Are you going to start vandalizing things? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Because there's a balancing act, like yeah. I said, you know, there's a fine line. Yeah. We've got to tread these things. What did you think of the captain's challenge? <laughs> Wasn't that a wonderfully flawed introduction to the captain's challenge? I don't know. I, I just think it needs refinement. Everyone's going to work out when the right time to use them is. Yeah. I thought the TV commentary guys covering the Roosters-Panthers game were debating whether Nathan Cleary's captain's challenge was strategic. Like, it was four or five minutes to go, I think. His yep. team was ahead just to give his team a rest because yep. it's clearly not really something they should have bothered challenging with. Mm. But the guys covering the game thought that it was a smart call because he was being strategic with it. So... Who knows how it's going to play out for the rest of the season, but I, you know, I like innovation. I like the fact that we're doing it. Same, but I'm not a huge fan of this one. You know, you can talk about it from a strategic point of view and that kind of makes it interesting, but it doesn't make things more exciting. Uh, in fact, in my opinion, it increased the tedium over the weekend. I'm all for technology being used, but use it when the stakes are high. For a try, for example, but not when someone has bobbled the ball trying to get a quick play the ball. Who cares? Accept the decision and move on. I suppose, though, as you say... It's up to the captains to choose the moment to challenge so yeah. the stakes are higher. T- teams will, will work it out. Like It's a new thing, so no one's quite sure how yeah. to use it properly. And you saw that over the weekend. But teams will work out when's it worthwhile. So yeah. like 15 minutes in, down by two, and mm. it's a knock-on call. Bro, <laughs> put it in your pocket, right? Like, <laughs> last 10 minutes, down by four points, mm. and it's a call that you think legitimately should be challenged because the ref got it wrong, and it's got a crucial possession outcome to it. Mm. Worth challenging. Yeah. 
Yeah, fair call. Any other reflections from the weekend? Obviously, Melbourne, another round one victory. The Tigers, mm. another round one victory. They're pretty good early in the season. Uh, how'd you feel from that game? Well, the Tigers, they're usually good early in the season, mm. but so are the Dragons. Ah, they usually okay. start well and also fall in a heap. So, I, so yeah, good signs. I, I, I guess so. <laughs> the Tigers got really lucky with that game. That's my my official opinion. Okay. But the, the, the Dragons, they bombed four or five tries, like yep. straight up bombed. If it were not for a, a vintage performance from mm. Benji Marshall, uh, the Tigers wouldn't have had anything, I don't think. He was phenomenal. Yeah. And last year we were wondering, could Benji make it to the 2021 Rugby League World Cup? Of course he can. Please, yes. I'm locking him in. <laughs> Okay, so they're our elongated reflections. Hey, Big Al, mm. let's go to the mailbag. Mm-hmm. People have questions. People have thoughts. They write into us. We try to answer them. PRL mailbag. It's the BRL Mailbag. A lot of great feedback from our interview last week with Steve Mascord. So thank you for that. Gina from Sydney was in touch. Happy to have us back on board for 2020. Thank you, Gina. She enjoyed the interview and said Steve spoke very well. I totally agree. Frullins or Frullins from Melbourne also got in touch. Great ep, guys. Fantastic interview with Steve Mascord. I support your silent protest about the length of the UK season, but it's great to have you back. Thank you. That is that is very kind. And Frullins also noted, in the Rugby League podcasts he listens to, there seems to be a lot of Dragons and Tigers fans. So he suggested a mini game between the respective podcasters. Big Al, you'd obviously be on Team Tigers. Mm-hmm. Frullins mistakenly thought I was a Dragons fan, but I noted I support the Eels and offered to referee instead, which is probably a good thing because Big Al, I'm not sure if I've shared this before. I probably have. But believe it or not, I don't have a particularly successful rugby league playing career behind me. No. This is the story of my rugby league playing debut. Hit it. It was a cold Wednesday morning at a dewy suburban Sydney field. Our team had taken the day off school to compete in the Balmain Knockout, a storied rugby league carnival for local schools. I had dreamed of this day for ages. Watching the game obsessively every weekend on TV, I thought I had what it took to be a star. I remember being surprised when we arrived at the ground that there weren't grandstands full of screaming fans. As TV Rugby League was the only rugby league I'd been exposed to at that point, I thought all rugby league was played in front of heaving throngs. So, despite the deflating lack of atmosphere at the ground, I was nervous but excited about making my debut. I vividly remember burping Nutrigrain burps as we warmed up. Mm. They're high in protein, those burps. (laughs) Especially back then. We would be receiving the ball from kickoff, and I remember standing about 15 metres away from where the ball was planted. The opposition players were talking to each other about tactics. I noticed them look at me as I stood there. I was seven years old, maybe 15 kilos running wet. I realised they were going to kick the ball off to me. I swallowed a lump in my throat. All of a sudden, I realised everyone in both teams was much bigger than me. My nerves jangled. The ref blew the whistle to start the game, and as I predicted, they kicked the ball my way. I went to trap the rolling ball, just as my coach had taught me, but my stiff leg meant that the ball ballooned a few metres ahead of me. I frantically chased after it, and got there just before the opposition did. The next few seconds were a blur, but I remember hands being placed and arms being wrapped all over me, in a way I'd never experienced before. 
no part of my body was off limits. <laughs> and being a literal lightweight, I was effectively chairlift to the side of the field and unceremoniously dumped onto the muddy sideline. I spent most of the rest of the game on the bench picking dirt out of my eyebrows. We won 46-0. <laughs> and I ended up being offered a kick a goal at the end of the game to make it 48. <laughs> at home in the backyard, I had a good boot on me, but here, I stuttered in my run-up and the ball didn't need to get off the ground. <laughs> Rolling gently and stopping just before the try line. Big Al, that is my story. <laughs> That's, I'm so sorry, what a... What a heartbreaking story. The, the, <laughs> no, it's okay. Look, thanks for letting me get that off my chest, Big Al and Frollins. Uh, I need to tell that story every now and then. That's, it's like an annual oration that I like to give. <laughs> but it's, it's good for me. Okay. Elsewhere, Stu from Sydney got in touch after seeing Michael Morgan drop a field goal right on half time in their game against the Broncos to take the score from 12-8 to 12-9. Stu asked, is a field goal when four points behind progressive? Good question, Big Al. It's entirely progressive. The one thing that Michael Morgan missed hmm. with that bonus field goal was he should have gone for three more at the start of the second half. Yeah. No one's going to suspect you to try and close a four-point gap with four field goals. I totally agree. And look, to be honest, there aren't enough three-point leads in rugby league. Hmm. They're very exciting leagues to have because the opposition team, the team who's trailing, needs to score a try to hmm. get in front. So there's no point of scoring a penalty goal. And, you know, you could do another three field goals, but that's unlikely. So it brings the try into the game. Yeah. Love it. Declan Foy, the former Irish international and head honcho at Cross League, the best non-contact rugby league in the business. He also got in touch. Great to hear from you, Declan. Great episode, he said. Referring to our discussion about the Ottawa Aces name, and we weren't huge fans of it initially, but there's time for it to grow on us. Mm -hmm. He wrote, I think the Aces are probably a reference to Flying Aces, which is an historical military aviator credited with shooting down several enemy aircraft during aerial combat. According to Wikipedia, the actual number of aerial victories required to officially qualify as an ace has varied, but is usually considered to be five or more. The concept of ace emerged in 1915 during World War I. It was a propaganda term intended to provide the home front with a cult hero in what otherwise was a war of attrition. The individual actions of aces were widely reported and the image was disseminated of the ace as a chivalrous knight reminiscent of a bygone era. That all sounds great. Mm. But then Steve Mascord burst the bubble somewhat by saying, the new basketball team in that area is called the Blackjacks. Oh, Maybe implying no, that no. the Aces is just card related. <laughs> either way, either way, Declan will be referring to them as the Ottawa Flying Aces, particularly for away games, which is absolutely appropriate, and I am totally on board with that. But if you look at their logo, I'm pretty sure it's just a maple leaf. But there's an A there. Oh, an A inside the maple leaf, or like on top of the maple leaf, like a big capital A There's or a something. big capital A there mm. somewhere. I, I do I do like that if it is related to a flying ace, I think that's cool. Mm. Then they should get a logo with one of those old-timey pilots with like the leather yeah. head straps and the goggles and stuff, and mm. a big moustache. That'd be cool. That'd be fun. Yeah, big moustache. Big moustache. Hey, we also heard from Ian East from Leeds, or Ian from East Leeds. He also loved our Steve Mascord interview and agreed with Steve about the change in UK fans' perceptions of the Toronto Wolfpack now that they are a direct competitor in Super League. He said, Steve was bob-on about his increasingly limited options for Toronto Wolfpack merchandise at Super League matches. The year before Catalans joined Super League, I bought a t-shirt in Perpignan. The year before Toronto started in League One, I bought a fridge magnet. I'm in the market for an Ottawa water bottle before they can get too close to beating us in Leeds. Incidentally, Ian has a very interesting piece in the latest 4020 magazine, so look out for that as well, friends. 
Gavin Wilsey of No Helmets Required fame, he noted that in the best news he's heard all week, you can buy on the Tries Mondial website, a fabulous independent French rugby league website, you can buy mugs from the third tier of French rugby league. Oh, that is brilliant. All for the price of 20 euros, which might seem expensive, but imagine the dinner party cachet that you get <laughs> when you bring out the cup of tea and the cup of coffee in a Tries Mondial third division French. <laughs> you know what? You know what I love about all that sort of stuff. Well, third division French rugby league team merchandise mm. is that all too often that stuff just it gets confused with some kind of European soccer club. Yes, like even with the the, the Toulouse Olympique merch that we bought mm. that we cleared the gift shop out of when we were there last year. <laughs> People just assume that it's a, it's a, some kind of soccer club somewhere. Yeah. Oh, sorry, football club. Is that and real? So in the like, cachet? well, it means you have to get them to ask you about the mug somehow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. What yeah. do you think of the? Co- the colour on that mug there. Do you think that works with the tablecloth? <laughs> now, you always uh, ask a question like that you want to be asked. It's like, oh, what's on your mug? It's like, nothing. <laughs> what's on yours? Oh, well, oh it's always in peak, you know. Or it's like, have you been to a head coach's farm? <laughs> no. Have you? Oh, yeah, well, since you ask, yeah, I have, actually. Thanks for asking. Yeah. We went, and it was greatest moment of my life. What's the uh, best uh, French sheep dairy farm you've been to? Yeah, <laughs> I haven't been to one of you. <laughs> well, funnily enough. Yeah, well, thank you, Gavin. I suggested that Tres Mondial expand to Commemorative China. Why stop at mugs? Go to the Commemorative China market. Like a nice plate that you put on a stand. Yeah, remember in the TV guides, there used to be like the TV listings on one side and the other page, there was an ad for a Commemorative China plate of Princess Diana or something. Oh, yeah, from um, Franklin Mint. I think that (laughs) was the one that would make it. And finally, Laurent Garnier got in touch. Remember last week, Big Al, I tried to impress you and our listeners by saying the word friends in a variety of European languages. How could I forget? You scoffed at my German attempt, Friende, saying it was not German, but instead a French word for nice cake. Well, this from Laurent. Big Al, you're spot on. Bam. Gentlemen, this is the Friande au fromage. Very popular in French school canteens during the 80s. And there he, he shared a, a picture of a delectable said fromage. Well, well fromage is cheese. Yeah. So it was a cheese pie? Is that what it is? A cheesecake? It was like a... Hard to tell. It looked, like, like, a bit, it looked like, like a bit a, of a cheese toasty. Yeah, it? or like a cheese and spinach triangle or something like that. Anyway, Hello. you were right. I was wrong. No, but that doesn't mean... Like, Friand... I haven't Google translated it since, but Friande could be French. Friande. Yeah, German for friend. But it's also French for cake. Well, no, it is. No, not French for cake. It's a French cake. Gotcha. A French style of cake. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. We're both right. You're all winners. (laughs) Okay. There's the mailbag. You can get in touch with us on Twitter or at ProgressiveRL at Outlook.com. Okay. Last week, Big Al, on our French-Canadian Rugby League update, we struggled with harmonizing via satellite that's we not did, easy to yeah, do it is. i mean i was obviously you were on a delay of half a second perhaps and yeah. uh it was it was difficult so let's see if we can get it right this time okay okay big gal and me we like what we see when it comes to french canadian rugby 13s fabulous now i suppose it'll be a truncated update but what have you got for us uh, yeah i mean it's gonna be this one's gonna be all over the place so mm. no no championship games mm. because of the challenge cup yep which is fine but we do have a Wolfpack update to the challenge cup so should we, we... yeah let's go with that uh, so the Wolfpack recorded their first win of being a super league team yeah uh, by defeating huddersfield 18 nil in the in the challenge cup so just happened not to be in the Super League. Yeah, which is... I mean, I don't know if it's unfortunate. Um, it's great to see them still in the Challenge Cup, but personally, mm. I'd like to see them bank as many 
wins as possible mm. in the Super League. I can handle bowing out of the Challenge Cup at any point. I can't handle a relegation battle. Well, this leads to a, a very juicy hypothetical. Mm. But firstly, it was a super performance from a team that was under siege. And to keep the opposition, and not just any opposition, to naught six days after leaking 66 points, that's some turnaround. We know what that is. It's the bounce back factor. It's the BBS. Why do we always underestimate the bounce back factor? <laughs> So surely it's a huge confidence boost for their stretch of Super League games if it kicks off again. But the Challenge Cup win brought to mind that awkward hypothetical that I'd like to run by you. Go for it. It revolves around the potential of the Wolfpack making a deep run at the Challenge Cup. After all, they could get on a cup roll and or get a good draw, like St. Helens played championship side Halifax last year in the semis, for example. They could make it all the way to the final. And that would be awesome. Toronto, on the big stage. But what if that hurts their chances of surviving relegation. Let's say Toronto win 10 games in 2020. Would you rather nine of those wins to come in Super League with a a near guarantee of survival or split it five and five, give yourself a win at Wembley in the most famous cup competition in rugby league, but at the same time, you're relegated back to the championship? Oh, that's an easy decision. Always stay in the Super League. Even against a Challenge Cup victory. Yeah, but like a Challenge Cup victory for a Super League team, a a Challenge Cup victory is useless if it means you're relegated. For a championship team, a Challenge Cup victory is tremendous. It's it's the the second best thing you can do, I suppose, after you get behind getting promoted to the Super League. But if it means crashing down Mm. for a Super League team, if it means crashing down into the championship, then always, always pick the finish second last in the Super League. (laughs) Over the Challenge Cup win. That's that's not a particularly difficult hypothetical. Great. There you go. Thoughts, can, welcome, friends. Can we stay on that on that Wolfpack win in the Challenge Cup? Yeah. So apparently they only used 14 players. Wow. So McDermott brought a whole squad, so mm. 17 players, but only used one of his bench players. Wow. Do you think that that is because the remaining three on the bench weren't good enough, fit enough, or too injured to actually play? Mm. And so he, because we've all heard about how thin the, the mm. depth of their squad is... He brought 17 players to be named, but only mm. ever intended on using 14. I was wondering why three of them were wearing denim on the <laughs> You know, normally you expect a tracksuit of some description. Yeah. One was wearing a skivvy. There was a scarf there. Yeah. <laughs> it was very urbane. Okay, so in the Super League, again, odd things afoot because Catalan's match against Leeds postponed. Postponed. That's their third postponing of the year out of seven rounds. Two weather-related one coronavirus related Mm. and you know as we've spoken we're not sure when we'll get back on the field there but it has been a strange old season for Calan in particular they've had so they've won three they've lost one three pp'd Mm. it's hard to get into your rhythm (laughs) you're always getting pp'd always getting pp'd yeah so i mean i don't really know what what else to do with this update well no i mean let's go back to the impact on international rugby league of a truncated or delayed season because it probably means that there's unlikely to be much uh, top-level international rugby league played in 2020. And we had such a big international calendar coming up, including the Ashes and a great Oceania Cup and the European Cup as well. This is a massive shame, but it does show how it's the domestic competitions, the NRL and Super League, that's what pays the bills. Yeah, yeah. And that's what brings in the money. And unfortunately, International Rugby League, as we spoke with Steve Maskell last week, it just doesn't make much money yet. So in this situation, it's really a huge shame. But you can kind of understand if the authorities sort of say, look, we're going to have to postpone all International Rugby League for 2020. Yeah, a real shame. Like, we were just getting somewhere really, really good. Yeah. But if things get moved around... Look, let's not count it out. No, Never know. Not. But it, do, it does look a bit shaky. Okay, well, thank you for that truncated update. 
it's one of those things. We are in unprecedented times. That was an unprecedented <laughs> update. So well, no, the update, the, the content was unprecedented. The update right. itself was well precedented. It was very much precedented. Why don't we finish things off with a Progmom or two and a half? What have you got for us? So you watched the Sunday, the two Sunday games. I did. So you definitely watched Manly versus Melbourne, and then you watched. Dragons versus Tigers. I consumed Dragons versus Tigers. I didn't watch it. I had it on the radio. Okay. Did you watch Manly versus Melbourne? I did, most of it. Did you notice the high-tech ball disinfecting system they yes. had on the sideline there? I did. That, that is innovation at its finest. <laughs> and I <laughs> I was a big fan. Yeah. Unexpected. Unexpected novelty of this, uh, you know, potentially scary thing that we're all going through. Mm. Disinfecting balls on the sideline in an esky with ball boys using yep. food handling gloves. Pretty good. Put in the health of the kids <laughs> first. Yeah. Anything else? That's one. You owe us two and a half, remember, from last week. All right, okay, so I'm just going to... This is one on the fly. Sure. Dragons first try in that Tigers game. Mm. 70 seconds into the game, Dragons get possession unexpectedly. Yeah. Zero or first tackle. Kick. Oh. Kicks for the try yeah. and uh, and gets it. And something else like that, I'm sure, happened throughout the round. I know. like Michael the- Morgan kicked a field goal four <laughs> points down. All right, that's your half. There you go, two and a half. Well done. The Dragons, they do get a bad rap and their fans get on their case very quickly. Mm. And maybe understandably. I don't really care if they win or lose, but they do play an entertaining brand of rugby league, which I enjoy watching. Uh, my problem it's the Warriors putting the competition before themselves. You could have understood if, if they just wanted to go home and be with their families, but it would have totally, totally screwed up the competition. Yeah. So the Warriors selflessly stepped up. I hope the NRL and fans remember this and treat them kindly if they're ever in a precarious position in the future. To be honest, they might just decide to go home at the end of this week anyway, which mm. would be understandable. But for the moment, they've decided to stay on board and, and we'll see what happens at the weekend. But, yeah. uh, you know, kudos to the Warriors. Yeah, the Warriors is most most people's second or third team. Yeah. And this is just another reason as to why that is. Like, you can't... How can you hate how them? You they hate are the such a lovable team. That's right. Everything about them. <laughs> Especially if your motto is winning is secondary. Yeah. <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of the show for this week. Thank you for joining us. It's been a strange one. We're in strange times. We'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. We hope to be back next week. And if we are, we'll see you then. But until then... <laughs> Rugby League for me. And see ya. See you all in Rugby League We Trust. Yeah. <laughs>